So we're looking at this last portion today of John chapter 8. I'm going to read to you from 48 through to 59. Verse 48 begins this way. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honour myself, my honour is nothing. It is my father who honours me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Amen. That, uh, I don't know about you, I hope you agree with me, but that's it's an amazing piece of scripture. And there's so much in it, really, that I'm only able to pull out a few things this morning. So last week, we looked into a few things in the preceding verses, and he said, therefore you do not hear because you are God. And this week we come to this last portion in John chapter 8. Jesus teaches those amongst the crowd who believed in him. That's what we looked at last week, those who believed on him, what he was saying. We looked at how he, we began to look at those who confessed that they believed in him, and he began to teach them this vital necessity of abiding in his word. Abiding in his word. To go on, going on in the gospel. To love it. To love his gospel. And, and that's a question for us this morning. That's a question for us in our lives. Do we love in continuation the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we love it? He taught them to hunger. To thirst after Christ and his teaching. And not only to hunger and thirst after it, but then to, to adhere to it, to stick to it, to walk side by side with it, to be on the path and the journey continuously and not to de derive from it, to walk off the path from it, but to stick like glue to it. Paul warns in, in Galatians chapter 1 not to go after another gospel. 
a gospel which is no gospel at all. But people pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. They pervert it. And they do this for their own ends. And it says in these scriptures that, that this kind of gospel and those who preach it are accursed. These people may seem like they flourish at this time. You know, the Psalms often uh, say, don't they, why? Why do the righteous fare so well? They may appear to fare so well, but there'll be a time when they won't. And there'll be a time where these people who preach another gospel will stand before a holy God and give their answer as to why. Seasoned Christians, then, ought to know the word of God and be clear on the need to be constant in it. Those of us in this room who may count ourselves to be seasoned Christians should be well versed in the scriptures. And, and I don't say that just for our own selves, but for those around us who are young. We just prayed for the children. We need to be well versed in the scriptures, not only for our sake, but for theirs. We need to know the God who we confess and profess. Because new Christians, they're vulnerable. Do you have any experience of that in your new walk with Christ? you remember how vulnerable perhaps you were? I was vulnerable and I went way off because I was taught way off. Now that doesn't mean to say that all those people that taught me are only to blame. I'm to blame. But those people taught me wrong things. And so I believed wrong things and I acted in wrong ways. It's only by the grace of God that he opened my eyes to see the error of those ways. But part of that was because I listened to people who God sent my way to direct me to what was true. Some of those men were alive. Some of them were dead in books that I were given and encouraged to read of saints long gone. So we need to encourage young, vulnerable Christians to abide in God's word because it will guard them. Now, don't we, don't we say as parents that we want to teach our children that they don't make the same mistakes that we made? So if we can guide them and, and guard them from the mistakes that we may have made in our Christian walk, to guard them from being tossed around by every wind of doctrine that's out there, we need to teach them the truth so that they're not swayed by those who preach another gospel. We also made the note that those who abide in Christ's word then are indeed true disciples and that they will be proved to be so by continuing on to abide in Christ Jesus and his word no matter what comes their way. No matter what mountains, no matter what valleys, no matter what pits, as we sang in that song, no matter what persecutions, no matter what troubles, no matter what hate comes your way, 
we will always continue to abide. I'm not saying we'll never fall into a pit. I'm not ever saying that we won't trip up a, a, a branch that's sticking up out of the ground. But we will ultimately be raised up. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, will not let our feet ultimately slip if we are his. The truth makes us free. And if Jesus, as it says, is the Son of God, if he makes us free, then we are free indeed. Absolutely and certainly we are free. Free from what, you might ask? Free from the dominion of sin over your life, for one. You may sin, and let me tell you, you will, and you do, and you have already today. But you're free from its power. You're free from being a slave to it, free from being crushed under it, free from the guilt of it, free from being on your knees, crushed with no hope from it. Free from the consequences of it. Free from death and given life. As I say, this, this doesn't make the Christian life an easy one. It's actually perhaps one of the hardest lives to live. But as we'll sing later, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. We should be so encouraged that God is the one who holds our own. That if we're found to be walking on that water and the storms come, and we begin to sink. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who reaches his arm and grabs hold of ours and lifts us up. So there will be those times of testing. There will be the hardships. There will be those times where we need to cling to the very hem of the garment of Jesus Christ, where we're fighting through that crowd of all of these troubles and trials and hardships, and we're just trying to get through with all our might, and we cling to the hem of his garment. And that issue of blood of the woman, you see, he dried up and she was healed. We can be assured of our salvation. Our abiding in Christ. Why, why, why can we be assured? Because you're good. Because you, you, you love the Bible and you just want to be in it. Well, that's great. That's the case. But why can you be assured of your salvation? You can be assured of your salvation and your abiding in Christ because it all rests in God. And God does not fail. And I abhor the preachers that are here in this generation who seem to promote the fact that Christ cannot hold on to his people. That is wicked, in my opinion. I believe it's almost edging on blasphemy that our God, who was nailed to a tree, who gave his life and his whole blood was shed for the ransom of his people, he said, I will not let you out of my hand. I will give you eternal life and you shall never perish. And somebody turns around to me and says, yes, but you can let go of him. Sorry. I don't see that. He holds me fast. 
He is faithful to his promise. You aren't, and neither am I. We may reach heights at times of being faithful, and in the next breath we'll be in the very pits of unfaithfulness. But he will always be faithful to you. Jesus continues to speak with this crowd whom he states desire to kill him. And he makes it clear that his word has no place in them. They think they know it, but they don't. And it has no place in them. They have not, nor do they continue to abide in his word. These he reveals to be servants, children of their father, the devil. They not only do not hear them, but they actually refuse to hear God's words, the words of Christ. And Jesus says, you don't hear. This is the reason, because you're not of God. You're not one of my own. You're not part of my fold. That is the reason why you don't hear. You refuse to hear because you're not mine. So we go on into the text today, what we've read. Lord Jesus Christ is the meekest man that has ever lived. It was said of Moses, wasn't it, that on the face of the earth at that time, he was the meekest man. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. You have to go through a lot to be that, but he was the meekest man. But Jesus Christ far exceeds that. He is the meekest man that has ever lived and ever will live. He is gentle. He speaks of himself as being lowly in heart. But make no mistake, that doesn't mean that Jesus is weak. He is anything but weak. He is the most powerful person that has ever lived and ever will. He is the God of heaven and earth. Jesus is anything but weak. And he will make it clear to everyone what he wants them to hear. He won't hold back. He rebukes when it's needed and calls out the wicked firmly and very sharply. He, as well as John the Baptist, you might make note, calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. And here he has told them that the devil is their father and that the, fa the desires of their father is what they wish to do. He was of God, hears God's words, he says. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Hearing this from Jesus, these religious people, hearing this from this imposter as they saw him to be, would be like rubbing salt into an open wound. They were descendants of Abraham, children of the promise, keepers and maintainers of the law. They are disciples of Moses, righteous, the leaders of Israel, as Nicodemus was termed. He was one of the great leaders of Israel. You see, truth hurts, doesn't it? Anybody ever told you a truth that's rarely cut deep? Truth hurts. Jesus told them the truth and they would not hear it. They were seething with anger against him. Who was, who was this man? Who was he to tell them? Who are you to tell me that I don't know God? Who is this ignorant son 
of a carpenter from Nazareth, a Talmi, a Pharisee, a, a disciple of Moses, a, a descendant of Abraham, one that knows and writes and keeps and loves the law. Who are you to tell me that I don't know God? And their reply seems to me at least to be one of retaliation. You, you've said this about us, so, so now we're going to say this about you. Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Well, here we have double dishonour. Firstly, they accuse him of being a, a Samaritan. Remember back in John chapter 4, mentioned it earlier, when Jesus spoke to this Samaritan woman, asking her for a drink, what, what, did, what did she say? She was, she was surprised, wasn't she, that he would even speak to her being a Jew. But in verse 9 in chapter 4, we read, How is it that you being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. A mighty miracle was wrought in the heart of this woman and many others in her village who heard Jesus teach and preach over this two-day period. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They had done for a long time and there are reasons for that. You can go and you can search and you can look as to as to why that is. But the fact that these Jews here use this term of Samaritan to label Jesus, we see that it's a form of abuse. Jews charged Samaritans with corrupting the scriptures, of worshipping idols. They accused the Samaritans of having no regard for Moses or the law whatsoever. And that they were very loose in terms of true religion. So to call anyone a Samaritan in, in the greatest sense is to call them a heretic. So when they called him a, a, a Samaritan, you must be a Samaritan. You must be a heretic. You must be an idolater. You must be one who is excommunicated from all true religion. That's what you must be saying these kind of things. John Gill says that as Christ was called by the Jews a Samaritan, they having no name more hateful and more reproachful to call him by. So the Christians are still in their writings called Cuthites or Samaritans. And it is indeed with them, the Jews, a general name for all Gentiles and idolaters or whom they esteem such. So even now, even today, in the writings of the Jews, anyone they see as a heretic, they see as a Samaritan. And so you can see, can't you, why this was such an abuse to call Jesus. Oh, you must be a heretic. You must be a Samaritan. You must be an, an idol worshipper, a, tr a, a true hater of all that is good. But if this was not blasphemous enough, upon the holy spotless son of God. <coughs> they abuse him a second time by saying that he had a demon. Imagine, holiest person who ever lived and lives. Son of God who came from the throne of his father is accused of having a demon. I wouldn't like to be then on that day of judgment. But they say that, they, 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 you must have a demon. They, they thought that Jesus was mad. 
They thought that he was a lunatic. And all such who were seen as mad were believed to be possessed by evil spirits. If there were any lunatics, anybody with a, maybe even a, a mental problem, they were seen to be filled with evil spirits. He speaks of those who keep his word, never seeing death. And so being incredulous in their logic regarding Abraham and the prophets all being dead, the ones who kept God's word, as Jesus said, he said, if you keep my word, then you'll never see death. And so they say, well, Abraham, did he not keep your word and he's dead? The prophets, they kept your word and they're dead. What is this? What's this guy talking about? See, they, they, they were looking at it at a human, in a human logical way. So now, not only said that he had a demon, but were in their warped minds now certain of it, for what he said. Let it be known that if Jesus was treated this way, so will those who follow after him be. All those who call upon the name of the Lord and believe will be treated in this way. Paul was accused, wasn't he, of being mad. You must be mad with all your learning. You're mad with what you're saying. And the world looks upon Christians as fanatics, even terrorists. Disturbed of mind and brainwashed. Have you ever been called that by anybody? Maybe at school if you were a young Christian or at college or whatever. They say, mate, you're brainwashed. What's wrong with you? And some people reply and say, yes, but why wash my brain in is cleaner than what you wash yours in? But that's just a, a reply. But they see us as brainwashed. You go and preach Christ amongst the crowds. And even in the midst of your families. You will be accused of such things. Brainwashed. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you like the rest of the family? You used to be a real good laugh. A real good sport. What's happened to you? You've changed. Absolutely I have. And for the better. I ask the question firstly myself, but then to you. Am I, are you content to be labelled as mad? Are you content to be labelled as a lunatic or insane? Are you okay with people thinking that you're crazy, even demonic, for the sake of truth and for the sake of Christ? It's a question, isn't it? Particularly, it might be all right when, when you're on the street or and you're, you're maybe, maybe you're preaching the gospel, somebody comes to you, a lunatic, you're mad, and they walk off. Well, what does that mean to me? I don't, I don't know that person. Say what you want. I don't care. But when it's somebody in your family, somebody who's supposed to love you and care for you, somebody who you've, you've grew up with and spent your life with, and they, they suddenly turn upon you and, 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 and they reject you, you're mad, you're a lunatic, I want no more to do with you. And it may be harder. Jesus here is greatly dishonoured by these people. But these religious men couldn't see that by dishonouring the Son, they dishonoured the Father, the very one whose sons they claim to be. John 1, 6, uh, 18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. It is Jesus Christ who reveals the Father. If you don't know him, 
Don't claim to know the Father because you haven't got a clue. You will not know him. You do not know God if you do not know the Father. Muslims say, yes, we love Jesus. He's a prophet. He's not the son of God, but he's a prophet and we love him. But we serve God. No, you don't. No, you don't. Jehovah's Witnesses say the same. Yes, we love Jesus. He's a savior, but he isn't God. And we love the Father. No, you don't. Because you haven't got a clue who he is. You don't know who Jesus is. You do not know who the Father is. John 14, 7 to 11 says, Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. There's a clue there, isn't there? And from now on, you know him and I've seen him speaking to Philip, isn't he? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. When he said to them, I and the Father are one. If you don't believe that, then you do not know God at all. So he goes on in this context and he says to them, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. On the death of a brother, Lazarus, Martha poured out her heart to the Lord who had purposefully, your note, stayed away, delayed his coming in order that the glory of God would be made manifest in the situation. When they told him that Lazarus was sick, he said, I'm going to stay here more, two more days, few more days. He said, she said this, Lord, if you had been here, you see the agony, can't you? If you'd been here, if only Lord, you had been here. My brother would not have died. This is wonderful faith. She really did believe that Jesus would have healed her brother had he been there when he was ill. Jesus promises her that Lazarus will rise again. And Martha takes this to mean, she interprets it to mean he's speaking about the day of when all saints will be resurrected from their graves. Yes, one day I know that he will be resurrected with all the saints. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said to Martha. <coughs> though you shall die, you shall live. Do you believe this? It's absolutely certain that our bodies are aging. Absolutely certain that they're decaying and absolutely certain unless the Lord comes again before that we will die, every one of us. Our bodies will die. We know that the scripture tells us that man is appointed once to die and then comes judgment. <clears throat> Jesus makes both things plain here to Martha. 
Though he may die, that's one, yet shall he live, that's the other. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for God is with us. And the Lord also says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Let me read to you a portion of scripture that still brings me joy and comfort regarding the death of my own dad. I died in 2015, the age of 72. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Paul says this, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If you've got, and I'm sure there are in this room, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, whatever, those who have gone before you in the Lord, you don't need to sorrow as those who have no hope. And this is what Paul says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fell asleep in Jesus. Your relatives who are dead in Christ are alive. Do you, do you believe that? They're alive. More alive than even you are sat on the seat right now. And it says that the Lord Jesus, when he comes, those who fell asleep in Christ, he will bring with him on that day. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an, arch an archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ Arise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Together. Those who you've lost in Christ, you will be with them together. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, every one of us. And he says this, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm comforted that I will not proceed into heaven or I will not proceed anywhere without my father, my dad. My dad was a very intelligent man and yet in some ways very simple. He was led astray by many wrong doctrines and yet at the end came to see the sense of them. He loved the Lord, trusted in the Lord. And you know what? At the end of his days, he said, I'm ready. Ready to go. So when he went away and I saw him breathe his last and enter eternity, I was there looking at him and I was grieving as a son, but I was wondering, where are you? What's happening? Have you seen him? Do you see his face? Are you in the valley? Has he come to greet you? Has he took you? Are you there? I was envious. But one day, I'll be with him and he will be with me. Blessed, the beautiful assurance of meeting our beloved ones who've gone before us. These Jews obviously took this quite literally. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? And the prophets are dead and, and who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus said to Martha, didn't he? He who believes in me 
This is, this is what he's talking about. He who believes me shall never die. Though he die, yet shall he live. Our bodies do die, but our souls live forever. And so yet I shall die, yet I shall live. Those who believe upon Christ have eternal life. When? When? Now, the Bible says. You have eternal life now. But these weren't believers. They didn't believe. You see, he said, he who believes in me, these didn't believe in, in him. Therefore, they couldn't see it. They couldn't experience it or know the truth of it. So Jesus says to them, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. But you, you've not known him. The question to Jesus, asking, who do you make yourself out to be? Culminates in such a, an amazing, a glorious revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. He refers to Abraham and speaks of him in such a way that shows those present and John's readers as well. That means us. That Jesus knows Abraham. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He says it because he knows the fact, because he knows Abraham and he was there. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. The Jews reading this respond again with a, a huff of incredulity. You are not yet 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? At this, Jesus makes the most remarkable statement. Most assuredly, certainly. Verily, verily, amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was with him, not I was this or that or the other. Simply, I am. The Jews had asked who he claimed to be, and now they had their answer. And the thing is, Anyone maybe who is unlearned might not really grasp what he's saying here. I am, I, I am what? I mean, you didn't finish the sentence, Jesus. Before Abraham was, I am. I, I, I am, I am what? No, I am. See this. What he was claiming, we've got to go back into Exodus 3, verse 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? Then what shall I say to them? Fair enough question. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say, to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. 
Note here that Moses is speaking to God in the midst of the burning bush. He is sent to tell the elders of Israel, to tell them of God's command to him to go to Pharaoh and to demand that he let their people go. Who is it that sends him? It's none other than the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when asking what name he should give them, the Lord says, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Jesus said this to the Jews, before him, he was telling him that he, Jesus the Nazarene, was the I am who spoke and commanded Moses to release them from their bondage. He revealed himself to be the God who spoke out of the burning bush to their forefathers, whose heritage they relied on and whose disciples they claimed they were. Jesus was telling the Jews that he is the God but they say they know. What was the outcome? They hated him all the more. It says they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus himself hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by, miraculously. See, this didn't lead to their salvation. It led to their condemnation. They didn't know God. And the sad fact about this is those that do not believe will still seek to kill Christ. Literally, as here, or figuratively, in trying to rebuke, blaspheme, and to erase his name from society. They're trying to do that today. People still are trying to kill the name of Christ. The Messiah came, he revealed himself, and they tried to murder him. I want you to look at yourself this morning. If you're a Christian, if you believe upon Christ for your salvation, if the Holy Spirit is living in you and you're born again, realize that it is a miraculous work of God upon your own heart and upon your own mind today if you really do fully believe that Jesus Christ is the great I am. That he is God. God in the flesh. We've already stated that those that believe upon him shall never die, shall live forever. And if you believe this, can you be anything other than encouraged? All the things that we mentioned earlier that we've asked for prayer for, can we be any more encouraged that we serve and have indwelling in us the great I am? Is he not capable to fix anything in your life? Is he not capable to walk with you in the valley of the shadow of death? Is he not capable to bring our children home? Not only figuratively and literally, but spiritually speaking, is he not able? We say that we serve I am. Is he able or is he not?
But I want you to be encouraged. Now, or how should I say, have you believed? How is it possible? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? How have I got an interest? How have you got an interest in the Saviour's blood? How have you believed upon Christ? It is because of God's good pleasure that he has chosen you. Because from the foundation of the world, picked you out. We can understand then why the psalmist cries out, can't we? What is man that you are mindful of him? Why? Why me? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Let me read to you the words of the song to finish. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how you could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. For me he prayed in the garden and bowed to the world divine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. How wonderful is I am's love for me. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. The sovereign ruler of all things, maker and creator of all things. Jesus Christ, the Lord, has revealed himself and the Father to you if you believe. And there is no greater treasure than to be the treasure of God, the apple of his heart. Amen. Father, we thank you for the wonder of who you are. And this short time, this very brief look at the magnitude of when you said, I am. <coughs> We're astounded even by looking at it very briefly. And we thank you, Lord, that it is your great pleasure that we should be here this very day. God willing, with unspeakable joy at the mercies and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our lives. Because we believe, because you've enabled us to believe, because you've given us faith to believe. And we are justified by your death and resurrection. Thank you, Lord God, for coming to save us, your people. Help us, we pray then. 
Lord, not to hide away, not to keep the gospel of good news, the cure for sin, the remedy, the balm of Gilead to ourselves, as if we're storing up potions for ourselves. Lord, let, them, let, us, let us freely give. As we've received, let us freely give. Help us to be witnesses in the sphere in which we have been placed. And Lord, that we would go that extra mile. We would give our cloak, not only our coat, but our cloak also, and go the extra mile to speak of the riches that are found in Christ Jesus. Make us bold, we pray. As Paul prayed, pray that I have boldness to preach the gospel of Christ wherever my feet tread. May it be the case for us. Lord, we give ourselves over to you, and I pray, make us the people we ought to be for your glory and for your honour. In Jesus' name, amen.